baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. KCBS Radio, original podcasts. It's August 4th. I'm in Cascade Locks right now. From KCBS Radio. I don't actually know if Cascade Locks is Oregon or Washington. This is Bay Current. Which side it's on? Cascade Locks, Oregon? And I'm Chris Ancarlo. This is part three of our series following Pacific Crest Trail hikers through a historic year of snowpack. And that was the darkness, the trail name that Sue Damgard goes by. The confusion can be excused by three plus months on the Pacific Crest Trail. That and, well, her routing has changed. So I flipped uh, on July 1st, I guess, is when we started in Washington. We walked 47 miles of the PNT, Pacific Northwest Trail, from Ross Lake. We, we took that alternate to get up to the Washington-Canada uh, border. Um, and then we've been southbounding ever since. Maggie Schumann made a similar call. So we swerved. Uh, I am not Miss Sierra. We jumped up to Northern California. More specifically, we jumped to Truckee. Yeah, we'll get a bit deeper into the circumstances that led to both of those decisions. It was a decision made by four of the five hikers we started out with at Campo down on the Mexican border back in May. Now, Owen Eigenbrot, he's the managing editor for The Trek. It's a publication dedicated to through hiking. They also publish Backpacker Radio. It's a podcast. And all of this offers a nice vantage point to view the PCT this year. We definitely have a snapshot of a lot of the hikers you know, out there, what they're experiencing. Um, and so we've seen, you know, it, it's a pretty mixed bag. It's the same on the CDT, um, but specifically to the, the PCT, you know, people, you know, they reach the snow, um, and either they push through or they, they flip, um, they, you call it flip flopping or skipping, whatever. Um, I think most hikers, um, who do that skip North with the intention of coming back and hiking through the Sierra later in the, in the season. Um, so yeah, a lot of people skipped north to, to kind of where the snow kind of stopped. Um, Ashland was a popular spot this year. These hikers hit different walls for different reasons at different times. Maggie says her group was having the best of times on their way up into the high Sierra from Kennedy Meadows. And then we got to Lone Pine and I call this what happened, the Lone Pine Panic. <laughs> it's really remarkable, right? How in each of these cases, there's just that moment, that singular moment. It's like a little rush of wind that adds just enough pressure to trigger an avalanche. Basically, everyone is getting up at two, three in the morning. And the hiking window is becoming shorter and shorter as the we kind of went through that warming period and that heat waves kind of came through California. Yeah, the adventure ceased to be fun. I kind of start to panic. I'm like, oh my gosh, getting up at two o'clock in the morning. We're only hiking eight to 10 miles a day. Is this how I want to experience this year? It was the biggest question I kept asking myself over and over and over again. At first, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to experience the Sierra in the most wild year that has ever been recorded or whatever. And at the end of the day, 
in the 11th hour at four o'clock in the morning because I'm supposed to get up and go over Cottonwood Pass. I decide, nope, this isn't what I want to do. For the darkness, it was a safety concern. So I was with this group that most of the folks were in microspikes. Um, I had crampons and I had training, uh, but my group was not prepared to deal with ice, like steep ice, bad run out. Uh, basically, the conditions over Forester Pass, the couple of days that we were planning to go through, you needed to be able to place pickets um, to protect the route. Uh, and we were not there. <laughs> um, our group did not have that equipment or the training. So to add some context, um, when we were coming up to Crabtree Meadows, which is at the base of Whitney, uh, the rangers were advising that there was a 25-foot ice band at the top of Forrester Pass and that they, the, the Tyndall Creek Ranger was not able to sink his ice axe into the ice. Um, and so they were not advising that anybody continue over Forrester Pass that did not have full crampons and mountaineering training, basically. And I guess you could say the snow and ice has fractured the, that typical spirit of camaraderie that you see on the trail. Um, I had a little freak out like the day we were exiting out Cottonwood Pass back out. There was like this kid that was going by me. Uh, and we were in these kind of deep sun cups up above Cottonwood Pass, and I was walking along with my crampons on, and this kid was like, oh, give in to the fear-mongering? He was going north, I was going south. And I turned to him, and I was like, what'd you just say to me? And he kind of like stutteringly took like a step back. He's like, give in to the fear-mongering? Because in other words, I was exiting back out Cottonwood Pass. And I was like, do you... And I, like, lost my shit at this kid. <laughs> I was like, you know, I've got, like, 14,000 miles of hiking experience, and I'm, like, a trained mountaineer, uh, and this is what the... And I just, like, lost it. This kid, like, skittered away as fast as he could. Like, and I, I don't know. Maybe I was an insane woman in that moment, but, um, you know, none of us are perfect. Just illustrate some of the frustrations spilling out onto the trail as hikers confront treacherous terrain are questions of trust and ability and experience. It was, it was a lot of people up in the snow with a lot of different opinions. Um, and there was a lot of people who were disagreeing with the rangers saying things like, well, they, they tell that to everybody. That's their job to warn people like they don't really know. Um, you know and the guy that's sitting at Tyndall Creek, like he li he lives up there in the ranger's cabin. Uh, it was I don't know. It was distressing to me, Chris. It was stressful. Um, I didn't like it. Um, I was surprised how I didn't like it. And I don't know. There was just like a lot of feelings. There was a lot of stress, a lot of like kind of condescension. But that comes from this place of like, I don't know, shame, I guess. And to, to kind of like re-explain my background is I was kind of formally trained by the Seattle Mountaineers in mountaineering skills, um, like risk assessment, um, I did a lot of trips with the club, which is a pretty well-known club up in Seattle in the, in the Cascade Mountains. I, I was with them for about five years. Um, and so how I think about these kind of decisions, um, this kind of travel is, is pretty formal. Um, and obviously a lot of the folks that are on the PCT don't have a big background in mountaineering. Um, and so you're kind of just going for it. And there's folks... <laughs> like Andrew Skirka, that were telling people that they would probably be fine in microspikes. So a lot of people showed up to Forrester 
and Whitney in micro spikes with no mountaineering gear, no mountaineering experience. I'm not saying it's Andrew Skirka's fault or responsibility, but there wasn't a lot of information for people um, about like a responsible way to move forward from anybody that had any kind of authority on the topic. So I left out of Kennedy Meadows with a large group of about 11 people. Um, and then almost immediately, we all kind of split ways. Um, I was, I, I kind of, I think day one or day two, I kind of settled, settled in with a group of about four people. Um, and we turned around. That's what the Rangers were telling us to do. Um, like I said, I could have gone on. I wasn't going to do that with the group that I was with. Um, people weren't comfortable with that. Uh, there were people certainly that went through. Uh, I I can't recommend that based on what I saw. Uh, you know, it's frustrating to me. I, I feel a little bit emotional about it. I feel ang- angry about it um, because it's kind of been celebrated like in the Backpacking Magazine article about the PCT hikers that went through the Sierra the people that went through didn't know what they were doing. They were moving forwards through dangerous conditions without knowledge or awareness of the risks that they were taking, or they didn't care. Either of those is not great. Uh, that's not how I recreate in the mountains. Uh, certainly not like steep, snowy, slidey mountains. Um, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's been intense, um, but so far, I think pretty safe. Yeah, there's been some rescues out there, but um, none of the, I know a few years ago, 2017, it was um, quite tragic in the Sierra, the last big snow year when um, we lost a few hikers in, um, in some treacherous water crossings. And I, I haven't heard of that this year. Maybe one of the reasons it's been safer is because of the willingness of people like Maggie and the darkness to trust their instincts and training. I think awareness has increased a lot since 2017. Um, you know, the PCT has really kind of exploded in popularity since maybe 2015, you call like the, 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 the first kind of like large growth year. Um, I'm sure probably old people would say it started earlier than that, but, um, I think people learn from that. The, the organizations talking about, you know, general wisdom about how to hike the trail safely and when to enter the Sierra. I think we all sort of learned from that, um, not just the hikers. For instance, the the, you know, the the podcast Backpacker Radio, there's, you know, and <laughs> when the snow was falling, there were, um, they loaded up on snow safety content um, or hiking in a high snow year content, interviewing hikers who had been through in 2017, um, trying to um, kind of grab some of their wisdom and, and pass it down. And so I think that's definitely had a large role to play. That has contributed to sort of normalizing the the idea of not like just the, the straight north to south or south to north pretty through hike. I think a lot of hikers are now more willing to kind of flip around, make it their own hike, do it in the safest way possible, avoid fires, avoid snow that kind of thing. That matches up with what we heard at the very beginning of this journey when Scott Wilkinson with the Pacific Crest Trail Association said the days of through hiking the entire PCT mile by mile, step by step, may be over. Todd Vogel has an interesting perspective. He's with the Inyo County Search and Rescue. I can't say that we really had an increase in call-outs on our side of things due to 
to the Pacific Crest Trail hikers. I think, and that's credit to them. I think the people, by the time they get to Inyo County, they have figured out, uh, you know, what they need to do. Uh, that's either skip this section or people that had the skills to to be on snow weeks at a time. But Vogel wears another hat that allows him to have the pulse of the PCT. My wife and I co-own a uh, mountain sports specialty shop here in Bishop, and so we get a lot of PCTers. And this year, we probably had 10% of the normal PCT traffic coming through. But I'll tell you, the, the people that we did see coming through, you can split into two waves. So the first wave, people were pretty savvy. They knew what they were doing. They had crampons and ice axes. They needed them. They knew how to use them. And they'd been traveling on snow for a very long time by the time they stopped by our place. And then um, the much smaller second wave, uh, these are folks who are having a hard time. <laughs> they, they would come in sunburned and um, you know they were, they were making it work, but uh, there was a very high attrition rate. And it's looking like northbound season on this part of the trail is pretty much done, at least until the flippers come back to close their circuits. Uh, the last through hiker we got was a, maybe three weeks ago, and not long from now, we'll start getting southbounders. There was a guy in here yesterday, I think, that or in the store yesterday, who uh, I think was a southbounder, and he's still uh, pretty far north, but he bumped down here to do some logistics and shopping and gear stuff and check on conditions. So here's the thing, right? We've established there's nothing wrong with flipping. In most cases, it's probably the most prudent course, but that doesn't make it any easier of a decision to make. I think it's a little bit of a hit to my ego uh, because I know that the PCT is kind of the gentlest way to go over the Sierra Mountains. You know, I've I've done two-thirds of the Sierra High Road. I've climbed a bunch of technical peaks in the Sierras. Um, But my crew was with micro spikes and most of the people didn't know how to use an ice axe. Um, that's insane. You don't go in conditions like that without ice axe training. Um, and with micro spikes, that's, that's like a death wish. I mean, somebody died on University Peak the weekend we were up there. That's like one kind of range over from where we were. The hardest part about flipping was... Our group that we were hiking with kind of went like a hundred different directions. So three of us went to Truckee, another four flipped all the way up to the Canadian border and are hiking south. Two more, well, four continued all the way through uh, to Kearsarge Pass. Two of them then ended up flipping to Tahoe and two more have continued on north. You know, there's a drive that has pushed me higher and farther in the mountains. I've hiked like 14,000 miles on trails all over the world. I've done, I don't know, a bunch of peaks that are technical. And sometimes drive doesn't come from like a healthy place, quote unquote healthy. Uh, I have this kind of underbelly of like, I don't belong here. You know, this kind of feeling of imposter syndrome um, that expresses itself, especially when the sport gets more extreme. Uh, I felt it. I wrestled with it uh, much more directly when I got into technical climbing. Um, And I kind of came face to face with that in the Sierra in this way that I didn't predict and I didn't really want, <laughs> uh, you know, you're moving through this space and people are having a different assessment than you are. And you ideally would be able to say, whatever, you know, 
you're comfortable with this. Cool. I'm not comfortable with this. Um, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go. And since I am confident in who I am and what I know and the experience that I have and the knowledge that I have that I have built over like a decade, <laughs> uh, that's great. Fine. Have fun, guys. I hope you're going to be okay. That's the thing about the trail, right? It gives you so much time, right? A lot of time to just sit and think and wonder and make sense of things that may not make sense. And it's there with a promise around each bend. So we flipped to the to the uh, Canadian border. It's been great. No snow. <laughs> um, Washington melted out really early this year. So there was a little bit of snow around Devil's Dome on the Pacific Northwest Trail uh, when we first got on. Um, but it's been just, you know, a pleasant hike, basically. Uh, so I met Cascade Locks. We're about to enter Oregon. Um, yeah, no stress. Being in Northern California has been such a breath of fresh air. Being, you know, born and raised in Northern California. These are the mountains I play in. And it's been really great. So our plan is to go all the way up to the Canadian border, hopefully to finish kind of around the first week of September, and then we go back to the Sierra. All right, so I'm on a uh, section of the Pacific Crest Trail in Crater Lake National Park, and man, what a difference it makes. Look at all this. It's gorgeous. It's green. It's not covered in snow. We've got some beautiful little wildflowers kicking up here, you know, and a nice stand of... Uh, of forest elevations, probably about 6,000 feet or so, but um, the trail looks much different than it does in the Sierra. And uh, just spent the last couple of weeks on a, a trip of my own, but um, also you know nipping in on different parts of the trail from the uh, Cascades, North Cascades, on down to to about here and down to Lassen. Um, and really the only snowy part remaining is there in Lassen. A uh, few, I guess, snowier parts you know, around Rainier and North Cascades, but nothing like what we saw in the Sierra. So the hike is better. I heard that over and over again from people I talked with along the trail in Washington and Oregon. And maybe, you know, sometimes things just fall into place. So instead of ending, truly ending our hike at the Canadian border, we're going to end our hike back in home in Truckee, which I think is really special and unique. So we'll flip back down to Lone Pine in September, hike north, back up to Truckee, and end with all our friends and family. And our golden retriever, Murphy, will be there. So I think at the end of the day, it was the best decision for us. A bit disappointing, but still the best decision for us. You know, there's this, the cliche, um, that flows up and down the trail, hike your own hike. And, you know, it, people like to make fun of that, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, it's hard sometimes to give yourself permission um, to kind of have that, you know, longer term view and, and um, be honest with yourself about what you're out there trying to, trying to find, trying to get, um, you know, for some people, I think it's important to kind of push their boundaries and, and really challenge themselves physically, mentally, emotionally in an environment that they're not familiar with is potentially dangerous. Um, so I always think it's great when um, when I hear that people kind of leave aside that sort of arbitrary goal that, you know, it doesn't necessarily speak to them. 
Um, you know, whatever you're out there for, if it's have have a good time, if it's just see these landscapes um, and kind of feel at home out there, then I don't see why you need to force yourself to feel really uncomfortable on snow. If, you know, if you don't know snow, if you never really want to hike on snow, then, you know, give yourself permission to not do that. Um, so I applaud everybody who who makes those tough choices because, you know, I think you can draw a lot of parallels to other aspects, aspects of society, you know, go to school, go to college, get a job, you know, do this stuff. Like that's how we're raised. And, you know, I've heard it a couple of times, um, said where like, why are we trying to put our through hikes into boxes when we're, a lot of us are out here to kind of think outside the box or get out of this kind of standard way of living the trail, any trail is a pathway to contemplation. That's what makes this sport so great, right? I mean, the challenge, the adversity, the unexpected, the peace, the harmony, and the chaos converge in a way that forces people to learn more about themselves. And this journey isn't over yet. All of these hikers say they'll be back in California to finish the Sierra this season. You better believe I'll follow it to the end. And we missed the group that we went. Uh, north from Kennedy Meadows with we had a really awesome group so just wanted to give a shout out to the darkness stash noodles cookie monster Lindsay vortex train wreck you guys were awesome and chair bear and I I'm pinecone we really miss you guys Thanks for listening, and if you missed the first two parts of this series, you can download previous episodes of Bay Current from wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Bay Current has been produced by me and Mallory Samara. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to hear more great stories about what makes the Bay Area just the most unique place in the entire world.